I don't think there's a scientist or a medical doctor around who would argue against this statement I'm about to make, and that is all of our bodies are producing potentially cancerous or cancerous mm -hmm. cells all the time. He said, you tested positive in all 12 sites. It's, it's Gleason score nine, very aggressive. You need to see an oncologist right away. I felt almost like I was out of my body. It was like a surreal experience. And then it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that this was real. And this was, this was serious. Is as long as it didn't harm my healthy cells, my healthy mitochondria, because I view it as a mitochondria dysfunction, as long as it only benefited my mitochondria, didn't hurt it. And I, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in one of the top oncologists here in LA who specializes in prostate. And he sat there trying to convince me that if I would do chemo in conjunction with the Lupron shots, that it would extend my lifespan, ready for this, by seven months. It's your life. It's kind of, you have to make the decisions that are right for you. One of the things I was doing that was terribly wrong was I wasn't ever fasting. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy. Today, we are joined by one of the coolest people that, um, that I've ever met. Eric Rimmensperger is a cancer survivor. Uh, as you'll hear in this episode, Eric was diagnosed uh, with stage four prostate cancer. It was metastatic and it was a nine on the Gleason scale. Basically, that means it's as bad as it could possibly be. He survived, and he's going to tell us how he did it. We're going to talk about um, sort of the metabolism of cancer. Uh, cancer is a disease, stages of, of our health and our immune system. Um, and I guess now is as good a time as any for a disclaimer. This is not medical advice. Uh, what we are telling you is what Eric used to defeat cancer in his situation. Um, so this isn't a hypothesis. This is what he actually did. This is his experience. Um, and again, it's not medical advice. It's just what he used to defeat cancer. Uh, so take it with a grain of salt, uh, look into everything. There are a ton of resources that we talk about on this show, a bunch of names, a bunch of books. As you know, we will put all of those in the show notes for you. Go to naturalstacks.com for the blog post on this episode that has all of those links and resources. Um, now, I was introduced to Eric through a few of our mutual friends and former uh, guests on the podcast, Mr. Ben Greenfield, um, Todd White at Dry Farm Wines. Uh, Eric has been on the Ben Greenfield show. I will link to that in the show notes for you guys. That is uh, a really in-depth podcast as well. Uh, if you want more, uh, definitely check that one out. Um, we are going to talk about curcumin a little bit in this show. Uh, so because natural stacks makes an amazing curcumin product, I've got a coupon code for you. Curcumin OPP, all capitals, no spaces, C U R C U M I N O P P. Put that code in at checkout. You'll get 50% off of your first bottle, your first month when you put curcumin on a subscription, All right? 
curcumin, OPP. Uh, as always, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. If we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with free Natural Stacks products. I've got a review right here. Let me grab my phone and read one for you. Invaluable podcast from Vic24 Ian. Vic24 I-A-N. Uh, Vic, Vic24 Ian. Shoot me an email, ryan at naturalstacks.com. We'll uh, hook you up for this amazing review. Vic says, if you listen to health-related podcasts, this should be in your top three easily. Muncie is a great interviewer, asking great questions, having poignant comments, and gets down to the grit of the topic in a way that is more easily digested by the listener. The people interviewed and the topics of discussion bridge the gap as well as a bit of crossover from other podcasts and is crucial and it is a crucial addition to my podcast lineup. Invaluable information for personal optimal performance. Vic, thank you. It means a lot. Appreciate your feedback. Appreciate your support. Thank you for being a part of our OPP family. One more five star uh, Paleo Chef Eat Play Crush. Uh, I guess that's specific to that episode. This is from Marcher 310. Yeah, okay. Uh, this was an awesome interview with Mary. I wanted to get to know her better and hang out with her. Loved her message for life. So Mary, if you're listening to the show, you got a huge fan here. Uh, Marcher 310. Email me, just like Vic, ryan at naturalstacks.com. We will get you a little care package as a thank you. Look, as you guys listen to this episode, um, you're going to hear some things that maybe you know. Uh, you're going to hear some things that maybe you didn't know. There's a lot of really important information in this show uh, that we want to uh, spread to as many people as possible. Um, I know I say this at the end of the show, uh, but I'll say it to you now as well. Uh, cancer is something that has, if it hasn't touched our life, your life uh, in some way yet, uh, I hope it never does. But I think we're at a point in today's world where uh, almost every single one of us has a friend or a family member who's uh, battled, been through cancer. Um, it's just, it, it's becoming more and more prevalent and, and we'll actually lead this um, episode off with a study talking about exactly how prevalent it has become. Um, but there's a lot of valuable information in here. So as you listen to this, share the podcast, uh, share this episode with people you know who will benefit from uh, the things that we're talking about today. I want to thank Eric for uh, coming on the show and sharing uh, some of this really, really valuable information. And I want to thank you for being here, being a part of the OPP family and for your support. Uh, means a lot. We couldn't do this without you. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. Thanks for being here. Eric, thanks for hanging out with us on the OPP. Well, thank you for having me, Ryan. This is such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. I love your show. Yeah. So uh, before we dive in, uh, I actually shared uh, a recently published paper that I want to go through um, and just share that with people listening to the show uh, in case they didn't see it on social media. But this was a report published July 10th, so about a week ago, on Medscape by the UK's leading cancer charity, Macmillan Cancer Support. And they found, uh, or, or they looked at the data and they found that it is now more common for an individual to be diagnosed with cancer than for an individual to get married, have a first child, or be awarded a degree from a university. And to wow. me, that's, that's just insane. And, <laughs> and I'm watching your face as I read this because I want to see yeah. your reaction. Um, uh, now, remember this, uh, for you guys listening, this is UK only, but still, uh, the latest data estimates over 365 
thousand cancer diagnoses per year in the UK. That's over a thousand people a day diagnosed yeah. with cancer every single day and in the UK alone. So when I saw that, when I read that, um, it was just an immediate red flag to me. Uh, and, and Eric, I think you and I, and most of our listeners are already aware of this, but as a society, we're doing something or some things wrong. Correct. And that's what I really want to dive into uh, okay. with you today, Eric. And um, you know, one thing that they did point out that I think is worth highlighting is that in 1970 uh, or the 70s, the survival rate for those diagnosed with cancer was one in four. Um, and they're defining survival rate as living beyond 10 years after that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And now the survival rate is one in two. So I know we're going to talk today a lot about alternative uh, treatments and you know things outside of the medical mm -hmm. orthodoxy. Uh, but it is interesting to note that uh, you know cancer survival rates are different. And maybe that's something that we can touch on there. But you said something, you've been on several podcasts before, you said something on Ben Greenfield's show that I really, uh, I think is a great place for us to start. And I'm paraphrasing here, so feel free to uh, explain this and, and, you know, put it in context that you want. But sure. you said something to the effect that we are, uh, cancer is more of a spectrum and less of a, you have it or you don't have it, that we are always cancering or healing. Explain right. that. Sure. Sure. I don't think there's a scientist or a medical doctor around who would argue against this statement I'm about to make. And that is all of our bodies are producing potentially cancerous or cancerous cells all the time. The question is, is your, is your body's immune system functioning to a level that keeps those cells in check? And the only dis difference between someone who's been diagnosed with what we call as a disease cancer, which um, I view as merely a symptom of a long-standing condition I call cancering as a verb, uh, is, is, is the fact that it's now evolved to the state where it shows up. Your body wasn't addressing it, and so it, the immune system wasn't shutting it down. It wasn't going through the normal apoptotic uh, process. And so you eventually find yourself in a state where it can be seen on an MRI or a CT scan. And at that point, it's pretty far advanced. So that's really, to me, the symptom of the disease. That's not really cancer. Cancering is just a process that kind of leads to that condition. So with that in mind, I think it kind of, it, it's interesting the way you kind of started this um, discussion with this, this study in England, which I find fascinating. I hadn't heard that. Uh, and I'm not surprised to hear it. And I'm sure some doctors would say, oh, it's only because we have you know, earlier detection and we can find this stuff sooner. And therefore, we know more people that have it that might have gone, not, not been diagnosed with it. But to me, that's, that's really not the case. The fact is, um, by the time we actually diagnose cancer, by finding it on a, CAT, a CT scanner or an, or an MRI, or, uh, it's, it's, it's got to be you know, two centimeters or something that's going to show up. And by then, you have literally billions of cancer cells that have been proliferating for a long period of time. And so, having, and just for those of you listeners who may not have heard Ben Greenfield's podcast, I had stage four, Gleason score nine, all 12 sites in my prostate tested positive for a very aggressive form of cancer. And it was outside the prostate, which meant surgery was not an option. They kind of just said, there's nothing we can do. We're just going to hope for the best, which actually turned out to be a blessing. Um, we can talk about that, but um, you know everyone's walking around with 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 onco you know onco proteins in their system. So you have an oncoblot test, you're going to test positive for proteins from cancer. But the question is, at what level are you concerned about it? At what point do you need to kind of change your 
protocols, change your lifestyle, make certain changes to see if you can't move back into a healing state? That's really the question. What, what is that level? Um, and is there a way that listeners can go and, and ask for that sort of a test? You know, they can if they go see an integrative doctor. Not all of them do or, or subscribe to the theory behind the Oncoblot test. There's actually different versions of that test uh, that are not just testing for the Onco, for the Onco protein, which is a, um, uh, it's, a, it's, a it's part of the cancer. Only cancers produce these oncoproteins. So the, the levels in your blood is a good indicator. There's another test called the RGCC test out of Greece that looks for uh, cancer stem cells in your body. And kind of does the same thing, but just focusing on the cancer stem cells. Both of these tests, I think, are good uh, indicators, probably the RGCC a little better, the Oncoblot, if you kind of know your threshold, just to see which direction your body's moving in. Are you moving more into a healing state or are you moving, is is the cancer progressing and, and you're getting more into a cancering state? But I don't know anyone can answer your question. Ryan, which is, is there kind of a threshold under which you don't have to worry about it? Because it really depends upon the individual, the type of cancer, where you are, what age you are. You know, so none of these tests are, I think, um, good indicators to say, oh, you don't have to worry about it. No, you do. But they are good markers if you want to kind of monitor the progression of the disease. Um, Right. Let's take a step back. And and you mentioned... um, your background and you know that is something that you know you and i are recording this before i record or you haven't heard the intro but i, I definitely that is in the intro so if people okay. at this point listening in the show are aware of your background but you know, walk sure. us through what that was like you're you're sitting in the doctor's office and you get that diagnosis what goes through your mind Ooh, that's a really that's a um that's a good question and and it's just kind of looking back to the the process. I'll step back a little bit. I, I ran through a whole battery of tests. You know, my first test was just a blood test to see what my PSA level was and my other blood markers were um, and a digital exam. And those kind of came back saying something's definitely awry. We don't know what it is. And that originally got my, you know, hair in the back of my neck to be a little more, you know, stand up. Let's, I'm a little nervous here, but I kind of convinced myself that it was, it was, I was far too healthy to have cancer. What I had was, you know, something benign in, in the, in prostate, they call it benign prostate hyperplasia, uh, BPH. And so I was convinced that ultimately all the tests would come back and say, yes, you just have benign versions, whatever it is. And it was really, the, the, I wasn't sitting in a doctor's office. I was sitting at home. I hadn't had the biopsy. The biopsy was kind of the final marker. I had a blood, I had a, um, a CT scan. I had a, an MRI. Um, I had a bone scan, I had a biopsy and the biopsy came in last and I remember I was sitting at home. I was watching, I don't watch television very often, but I was really trying to get my mind off of what I was going through and just trying to figure out, okay, what's happening with my life? Where's this all coming from? And the phone rang and it was probably eight o'clock at night. And it was my oncologist who happens to be a good friend of mine. We do yoga together. He's a, he's a great doctor. And he said, you look like your test results are back. And I could tell from the tone of his voice that, it, that he was going to cut right to the chase and it wasn't going to be good. And so I immediately kind of held my breath and tensed up a little bit. He said, you tested positive in all 12 sites. It's, it's Gleason score nine, very aggressive. You need to see an oncologist right away. And I remember, that, you know, you ever have that, those moments where you kind of stand up when your blood sugar is too low and kind of everything starts to black out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had the same thing, but it was more like a whiteout. It's like everything in my world just kind of came grinding to a halt. 
And the initial reaction I had was, was shock. It's like, I can't believe I heard what I just heard. This, this, I just can't believe these words are coming out of his mouth. And I felt almost like I was out of my body. It was like a surreal experience. And then it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that this was real. And this was, this was serious. And I don't know how else to explain it other than to say that I, I, I really started questioning everything that I had been doing for the last 20 years to be healthy and whether all of that was just really a bunch of nonsense. And, you know, I should have just been smoking cigarettes and eating McDonald's because the outcome is not going to be any different kind of thing. Uh, and I really, I felt, obviously felt sorry for myself and I was crying and all that stuff, which um, anybody I think would be normal to go through. And it probably took about two days. And I just woke up one morning and I felt like, you know, I'm going to take what, what was a real kind of deep-seated passion of mine to study and really understand wellness, mostly in the nutrition space, but outside nutrition, studying things like um, meditation and, you know, quantum physics and, you know, NLP and all these other things. And I was going to really just do a really deep dive to see if I couldn't understand what the hell happened and how I ended up where I ended up. Well, that's one of my next questions for you, because I, I know one of the next steps that you took, and, and it fascinates me. I think it speaks a lot to you know who you are and, and your mindset in that moment. But before we do that, just for our listeners' sake, uh, you know, stage four, metastatic, nine on the Gleason scale, basically, that means it's as bad as it could have been, right? right. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and it, was, it was very aggressive. So I mean, with prostate being, cancer is usually not that aggressive. Right. And with it being metastatic, did it show up in places other than your prostate? Well, yes. It showed up in the lymph nodes and it showed up in the bone region, but all in the groin. It, all, it, hadn't, okay. it hadn't spread to, you know, to other parts of my body. It was all kind of – and that's, that was my doctors, my oncologists. It looked like I got some good news. I got some good news and bad news kind of thing. And the good news is it's all in that one area which means you're not going to die in six months or something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the metastases obviously is what they try, which you, which you really want to try to avoid mm -hmm. when it comes to cancer, because I think the general prognosis amongst the traditional doctor, established doctor kind of um, circles is that once it's metastatic, it, it's really hard to contain and it's just a matter of time. Um, but obviously that's not the case. Yeah, and, and I want to really not always the case. I should say not always the case. <laughs> right, right. I, I want to highlight that, and, and and we'll talk about the role that you know um, traditional medicine uh, played. Um, mm -hmm. You know the extent that it was involved in your recovery. But you know, let's go back to um, what you did. This deep dive. You read twenty one books in fourteen days after yeah, the actually, diagnosis. It was it was fourteen books in twenty one days. But I really went. Okay. Crazy. Yeah, I did. Okay. I did. And I'm so, still I'm still on that same bandwagon, by the way. I, I have five books going on at a time and I finish at least one a week. Okay, that's that's my dyslexia coming through. <laughs> 14 yeah, no, books, 21 days. Yeah. Um, what were some of the biggest eye openers there? Uh, I'd say probably the most shocking thing for me to see was the um, perspective of, of the healing condition or establishing a healing state between Allopathic medicals, because uh, I read books that were written by traditional oncologists on chemotherapy and radi radiology and other treatments, and kind of the more um, you know esoteric version of healing that you might find in some of the, um, the the books that are written by the more alternative doctors. It was just interesting to me to see that they had both completely different views of the world, not mm -hmm. just medicine. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a, a, an allopathic doctor knows a lot about a very narrow segment of whatever it is they're studied in. And, and to be clear for people listening, that's your MDs. Yes. Yes. Allopathic is, is right, is what I call uh, standard of care or, or, and I use this with quotes, evidence-based medicine, because I can find holes in all sorts of that evidence. It's not hard to do. <laughs> Unfortunately, you need to have evidence-based for it to become standard of care, for it to be paid for by insurance. It's, it's, a, it's an unfortunate consequence of our medical establishment. But right. yeah, if it's right. either standard of care or what I call integrative or, or alternative. So, so having read that, what was your approach? I mean, it, it, it sounds like from everything I've heard that you, um, you, you, you took the Bruce Lee approach. You kind of uh, absorbed what is useful and discarded the rest. Right. That's right. I, I kind of tried to do, because this is the way my brain works, I tried to do a very kind of analytical, very clear kind of path of progression, analytical framework. I tried I try to really kind of understand the, the genesis of the disease in order to determine what what would be the right approach to address the disease. And so my initial part of the dive and what I spent most of my time with early on in the process was trying to really understand what I what I considered to be, and of course this is my opinion, I'm not a doctor, but based on my read of the, of the evidence that's out there, um, and folks much smarter than I, like Tom Seafreeth and others, uh, what, what, what causes cancer in the first place? Because to me, I don't know how anyone could possibly decide how to address a condition without knowing what the cause of that condition is. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So that was kind of my initial approach. I did implement some of the protocols early on before I kind of finished that process things like hyperbaric oxygen, only because I had, you know, I had already was, I was in ketosis at the time I got cancer. I was not therapeutic, but I was in a nutritional ketogenic uh, pretty much for about six months before I got, I was paleo before that for years. Um, but, you know, I, I had, I had heard the works of Don Agostino and, and Tom Seafreeth, and I knew that hyperbaric oxygen would be, and I, and I, and once the test results came back that said it was that was outside the prostate, there was no question that I was going to jump into an HBOT chamber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did, did you, did you get your own or did you just find one locally? No, unfortunately, in order to do it, in order to do it right, if you're trying to do it at a therapeutic level, you can't use one of those soft-sided chambers. Mm-hmm. So yep. really, and those use an oxygen generator. Those don't really get as high level you need to be at, to be at in order to have full therapy, therapeutic effect. So, yeah, I did use a local hyperbaric chamber center. Okay. And I, I went there three days a week initially. I now go once a week. Okay, so you're still doing it. Um, I'm still. Do- I'm believe me. I'm. I'm very kind of, and we can talk at any point if you have. If you want to talk about, it, I can tell you kind of where I am and how I ended up. But I. I started off kind of doing a lot, and then I kind of phased things out. But I didn't completely cut anything out. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's dive into that now. So um, you know, maybe run down the list of some of the things that you discovered through your reading and and incorporated into uh, your healing practices and and how you've kept up with them now. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's, let's, let's start with kind of one of the underlying kind of uh, pillars of what I consider to be the right therapies to use, and that's oxidative stress. I, and we can talk about kind of the underlying premise for that, but I viewed oxidative stressors to be a really powerful therapeutic benefit for, for addressing cancer. And so the, the, the way I would hyperoxygenate my system included, in addition to the hyperbaric oxygen I also got one of those live O2 machines. So I do the exercise with oxygen therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just implemented that as part of my exercise regime instead of just working out in my 
interval part of my workout, I would just use that machine. I also um, have uh, uh, a machine at home that produces ozone gas that's hooked up to an oxygen tank. And so I do this rectal ozone insufflation. Um, and I was doing that every single day. And it's just a way of getting ozone into your bloodstream, into your system. And I, it's kind of a benefit that the prostate and the colon are right next to each other. So if you're trying to address cancer in that joint region, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's not limited to that. You can, you can do get ozone into your blood other ways, but the other ways require that you go into a doctor's office and have blood drawn and that sort of thing. And the theory behind that is that we know cancer cannot survive in an oxygenated alkaline environment. Yeah, well, there's some cancers that can survive with with oxygen, but they don't use oxygen, okay? And there are some cancers that just cannot survive at all in a highly oxygenated environment. And I don't know whether my cancer falls into one category or the other, but I do know that it does slow down dramatically the progression of the disease. I was trying to rein this thing in. Mm -hmm. and so this whole kind of fermentation process, the glycolysis, the cancer cells, when they're going through that process, produce a lot of lactic acid. And that becomes very toxic to the neighboring cells. And that allows for the proliferation or spreading of the disease. Whereas if you can really raise the level of oxygen within the cellular structure, you, you effectively offset that. And so th it has a much harder time spreading or proliferating. So there's, 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 to me, it's a win-win, right? Mm -hmm. There's no downside to it. And that was one of the yardsticks that I would apply to any of the protocols is as long as it didn't harm my healthy cells, my healthy mitochondria, because I view it as a mitochondrial dysfunction, as long as it only benefited my mitochondria, didn't hurt it, even if it didn't benefit but didn't hurt it, I might try something. But I wouldn't do anything that would harm the mitochondria, which is why chemotherapy and radiation were kind of on the back burner. Gotcha. Okay. So after oxygenation. Uh, yeah, else? oxygenation is one. Another one is hydration. And, and it kind of ties into the same thing because you really need proper hydration in order to get uh, your cells fully oxygenated and to keep the, the, the cells from being too acidic if you're not well hydrated. So hydration was another one. And so that requires, you know, not only do you need to have very good, clean sources of water um, and proper electrolyte balance, which I'm sure all your listeners, the majority of them already know pretty know a lot about because most athletes, athletes do, but it, it also involves, interestingly enough, kind of how the electron transport chain works. And, and it's interesting because the cells, the mitochondria actually produce water as part of their process, right? They produce carbon dioxide and water as part of that process. Um, and so you want, again, you want your mitochondria really to be able to respirate well so they can produce its own water to help facilitate this, this functioning of your cell. Mm -hmm. um, and that breaks it down to kind of a very kind of quantum level. I, you get down to the quantum level, you kind of get lost in the weeds. But yeah, so it's, no, it's as, as you're going through that, like I hear a lot of Jack Cruz and, and oh, how he's, how he's always talking about the... Uh, you know, basically, I mean, and I remember this from, from college and, and science classes that, you know, cellular respiration and, you know, glycolysis are like the reverse uh, yes. reaction. So, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. exactly. I would say, you know, another underlying premise of my therapies, and this actually came, I, I, don't, I wouldn't answer this question the same way two months ago, but as I, you know, this is a, this is a work in progress and I'm always learning new things. But I kind of intuitively knew that because um, of the studies of the work of Wilhelm Reich and some others, that it's really important to have this kind of redox effect constantly working within your system. So you need both oxidative stress 
when your cells are losing electrons and in the reduction where your cells are gaining electrons. It's that movement. It's that electron transport across the electron transport chains, chain that actually allows for a lot of what we call life. And I know Jack talks about this and he really can get his Louise on this stuff. And I, mm-hmm. and I love listening to him. I, I, I lose him sometimes, but I'm, the more I listen, the more I kind of pick it up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And so obviously if, if you, if you follow that to its logical conclusion, then another part of the kind of uh, hydration, oxygenation, health of the mitochondria requires that you have healthy levels of light. You have good light, good sunlight, and healthy levels of mm-hmm. of bad, avoiding bad light, mm-hmm. right, as much as you possibly can. And so that's another thing that I think that ultimately ties into. And this is like a web, Ryan, right? None of it, you can't just pull one thing out and say, okay, nutrition is important or oxygenation. They're all, they're all inter- very much intertwined and interrelated to one another. For example, sleep. Sleep is part of the detoxification process. Right. If you're not sleeping, you're not healing, right? Right. No, I think that's a very excellent point to remind all of our listeners and, and for all of us to just remind ourselves uh, every once in a while is that, you know, if anyone phase of this lifestyle gets out of whack, it's going to have, um, you know, sort of, there's like a domino effect in the way it impacts the rest of everything we do, because it is all interrelated. Um, You mentioned sunlight and vitamin D. That was a big part of your routine, but not for the reason that most people might think, right? Right. That's right. That's right. And and we can talk a little bit about that. And I I tell you, this whole idea of um, uh, Nagalese, and the GCMAF issue and how your body, it, it basically, it, it has to do with, with how your body's immune system is able to detect and recognize uh, cancer cells. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know that you necessarily need to, you know, GCMF has a lot of uh, conspiratorial elements to it. If you've studied, there's been some doctors that were big proponents of it that all mysteriously kind of died at the same time. And at least all sorts of, you know, of course the internet loves that sort of thing, right? Bloggers yeah, I, I'm laughing, stuff. but it's, it's not a laughing matter. I mean, you, you, what Eric is saying is, is dead serious. Um, there were, uh, well, I don't remember the numbers, but 10 it's or like three, 20. Three, yeah. Well, well, there, there were three in Florida in particular that all knew each other. They were all yep. kind of you know, diet about the same time. And they're all big proponents of this. This And, and they were like very mysterious causes. And yeah, right. if, you, if you just Google, um, you know, doctor disappearance in Florida or, or something like that, you, you'll come up with some crazy stories. But this happened a while back. And I actually, it was at Paleo FX, um 2016. Um, Siltep creator Abelard Lindsay and I were having a conversation with um, a guy who I will make sure that his name is not known because he at a at an alternative cancer treatment facility they were doing some of that stuff and he didn't want to come on the podcast and talk about it because he was afraid that he might also disappear I totally get it I totally get it you won't see a lot of mention on my site initially I will do some blog posts on it because I think it's important and I think you can address it in a way that's non-controversial um, and I do that by using what's called Bravo yogurt, which is a form of yogurt out of Switzerland. You actually buy it on John Gray's site and there's other sites. There's other points where you can buy that. You make it at home, but it's a way of kind of reducing those Nagalese levels. You yeah, want to so keep those levels down. Give, give our listeners just a quick rundown on, on what's going on there in case they haven't heard anything about uh, Nagalese or, or the uh, GCMAF. Yeah, GCMAF, and I don't have my notes in front of me, so it's going to be hard for me to quote the exact kind of scientific name of it. But what it does is it's, it's, it's part of the body's normal way of recognizing when cells are not functioning the way they should. 
And, uh, and the way it does that is it, you, I'm sorry, GCMAF is, is, is a component or element that's produced within the body that helps them recognize cancer cells. So you want to raise your GCMAF levels and you can actually get exogenous GCMAF, which is what these doctors were doing to try to address that problem. It's Nagalese. I got my wires crossed there for a second. It's Nagalese levels that are high that, that mean it's going to be that much harder for your cells, uh, your, your white blood cells, the, the killer cells to recognize those cancer cells and address the cancer cells. And again, I, I'd love to get maybe my notes in front of me, do a whole blog post on this. But the idea is to reduce those Nagalese levels as much as you can so your body can naturally function the way it should. And you can also do exogenous uh, GCMAF if you can find it, <laughs> find a doctor who's willing to do it kind of on the QT, that sort of thing. Uh, this, this Bravo yogurt is really designed to do, I think, the former, which is reduce those Nagalese levels. So the GCMAF can do its job. Um, and I can, if you want for the show notes, I may be able to have a couple of things I can send you if you want to put in there, but yeah, yeah. let's, let's definitely do that. If, if you okay. have the blog post or, or if it's yeah. going to be written, um, send yeah. me the link and, and we'll put that in the show notes for you guys listening. Sure. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. I have, um, lots and lots of material to write about. <laughs> yeah. No shortage, no shortage. So I guess for our listeners, I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the role that, uh, modern medicine played in your recovery. Right. I mean, you mentioned chemo and radiation were immediately sort of in the back of your mind uh, right. because, you know, of their negative impact on mitochondria. Right. Okay. And with my particular cancer, because it was uh, stage four, surgery was not an option. And, um, and, and originally I was, I was kind of grateful because as, as laughable as it might have seen to the doctors that I was seeing early on, my goal was to retain the prostate and have it return to a healthy state. And I don't think there's a doctor alive who would have said that would have been feasible, although I, I, I'm, I'm convinced I can do it. Um, and we can talk about kind of where I am and how that process is unfolding. But um, so the, the treatment protocol for prostate cancer and breast cancer, although I'm not, I'm not as familiar, obviously, with the breast cancer component, is there some, um, some hormonal therapies. For prostate cancer, the hormonal therapy is to shut down your testosterone production. For, for breast cancer, it has more to do with the estrogen. And the way they do that is that you, there's two different versions. There's a, there's a drug called Casidex, which is a pill you can take that shuts down the receptors. And then there are different versions of a shot you can take that really stop your body from producing testosterone. I chose to take Lupron on a 30-day rolling basis because I wanted to be able to cycle off. And one of the reasons why I decided this made sense, even though it was standard of care, is A, I didn't want to... I, I was having trouble urinating. I wanted to, this was an acute condition. I was not focused on the chronic element at that point. I was mm -hmm. focused on the fact that I really got to get my, my body to function again. And so this would, anything I could throw at it, this is one. I also, it, it didn't seem to me that it would have any potential long-term harm effects because all I had to do was cycle off it. And eventually your, your, your testosterone production will resume. And so I it did in fact cycle off in early January and my testosterone just came back perfectly fine. So your body will kind of, reboot, if you will. That's the only standard of care therapy that I did. I was recommended to do chemotherapy. And I, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in one of the top oncologists here in LA who specializes in prostate. And he sat there trying to convince me that if I would do chemo in conjunction with the Lupron shots, that it would extend my lifespan, ready for this, by seven months. And I looked yeah. at him and I said, I paused for a second and, I, and I, I didn't know what to say. I said, you have to be kidding me. I said, you honestly believe that you could 
determine <laughs> that someone's life would have ended on December 7th and instead it ended on July 7th because they had done chemotherapy in a junction. I said, how could you say that? How do you even know that? I mean, this is all based on statistical analysis. And, and I just find that to just be a bunch of crockets of shit, if I could say that on your show. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was just completely flabbergasted that that was even suggested. I mean, the fact that they would even mention that it would extend my life for seven months. And then I told them this. I said, I would rather die seven months early healthy than go through chemotherapy. Right? If what I, if I what could was their response that, to that? Well, he, 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 of course, he didn't know what to say at that point because that's not that's, – I think most patients say, look, doc, anything you can do that's going to keep me alive, please do it. In fact, multiply it by two. Right. Double my chemo. That's, I mean, that's, I think, you know, half the population out there just says, look, do it all and then some. But I was definitely not in that camp. So here's a question I have for you. I mean, as you're going through the, the healing and recovery process, I mean, obviously you're going back in, you're getting checkups, uh, you're getting lab tests. What's the interaction like with the doctors when you're telling them? You know, these, these types of conversations where you're refusing chemo, you're telling them what you're doing, because I'm, I'm sure they're asking you what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, much, how much pushback did you get? What, what was the, the friction like with, with those interactions? I think it could have been really um, tr- pro- problematic for me if I had chosen the wrong team of doctors. I kind of based my yardstick on how well I thought I could work with the doctors, because I didn't want them to think I was just going to be a little passive, let you make the decisions for me. And one of the primary, I think, most important, if there's only one piece of information that you could possibly get out of this podcast that you should take with, if you're considering not just cancer, but any serious health condition, is even the best doctor in the world. Even if you were to see Chris Kresser, they're only going to be able to give you a tiny little segment of their attention right? And they have great advice and that's all great, but you're, it's your life. It's kind of, you have to make the decisions that are right for you. And I think it's especially prevalent or important for cancer patients to understand that because an oncologist is going to push you really hard to get into some very serious drugs um, and, and go through the chemotherapeutic, pro- the, you know, the chemotherapy process, which is extremely toxic and it's devastating to your immune system. And so even if they are able to get your cancer into complete remission using that kind of standard of care, chances are the, the cancer is going to resurf chances are the cancer is going to resurface somewhere else because your immune system is not functioning and yeah. you didn't get to the underlying cause of the disease either. Right. And I think that circles back to exactly what we said in the very beginning is a understanding the the root cause of, of this thing and b you know keeping your immune system healthy so that you can prevent that shift of cancering as a verb to cancer as a noun. Correct. That's right. But getting back to your question about how I kind of felt <laughs> because I had been good about picking doctors, I, and I love, I, I have three doctors and, you know, my, my integrative doctor I chose because there was a specific therapy that I wanted to use that she was kind of an expert in, even though she's not an oncologist integrative doctor, she doesn't specialize in cancer. And that's this whole area called anthroposophical medicine. You know, Rudolf Steiner, the guy who started Waldorf schools and biodynamic gardening. And, you know, he also, he was also a big kind of um, scientist uh, in, the, in kind of the food and nutrition space and health space. Even though he wasn't a scientist, he was kind of a clairvoyant. But he said that uh, cancer could be addressed or best addressed or one way to address cancer is through mistletoe, a derivative of the mistletoe, which is kind of an antagonist, if you will, of the immune system. And so... In Germany, he was Austrian. And so in, in Germany, it's quite common for doctors to prescribe 
uh, Iscador, which is what it's called, or here we call it Viscom because the government tried tried to shut it down when they called it Iscador, so they just changed the name. Um, and these are harmless shots. You know, I give myself a, a, a Viscom shot three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights before I go to bed. And it's, you know, it's subcutaneous. It's, you know, you put it in your fat and it's a little tiny glass vial about this big. And I just do that as a matter of course. I'll probably do it the rest of my life. But to me, it's anything that I can do that's that harmless that really could, might be beneficial. Now, whether I can say, did it have a huge impact or not? I really couldn't tell you that. I couldn't tell you that. But I know if they do it in Germany, and Germany's got, I think, a pretty progressive medical system. Mm-hmm. As a matter of course, it must have, there must be some clinical trials out there that show that it has some efficacy. Yeah. And there, there's a couple other things that you've done, um, mechanisms, I guess, if, if you want to look at cancer sort of um, at its energetic basis, um, bions and yes, uh, yes. Qi. Chi. <laughs> ben, ben calls it key, but it's, it's, it's spelled Q-I. It's pronounced Chi. It's, it's a, it's a, for those under, who don't know Chinese medicine, it's kind of the underlying basis of, of what we know as Chinese medicine or acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah, I, 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 okay, I came to the conclusion that cancer is a metabolic disease, right? I'm totally on board with that. I, mean, I agree with Tom and I agree with Otto Warburg and all this stuff. And I, and I follow these guys, but I say, okay, but that doesn't still answer the question for me. I still have the question, what caused this uh, problem with respiration? How did that start in the first place? Right. I want to go a little bit deeper here. Right. And, 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 and just me into the PA bions and the chi. Right. And just to back up, I mean, for our listeners, if, if they didn't catch you on Ben, I mean, you were a health nut before the cancer diagnosis. So in your mind, like you were doing everything right before this, this shouldn't have happened. Right. That's right. That's okay. right. And I, and, and <laughs> I think, uh, one of the things I was doing that was terribly wrong was I wasn't ever fasting. I was never allowing the uh, atophagetic state, the autophagy to kick in, that, mm-hmm. that kind of ability of the cells to clean themselves out. Uh, and, you know, I was flooding my body with nutrients, right? I had that crazy shake. And so I was taking excessive amounts of nutrients on a daily basis on this insane idea that if, if a little is good, a lot must be great. And not, never allowing this kind of redox to, to occur, right? The electrons are only being, I was only redu- reduction, reducing, I was never oxidating. I was never allowing those electrons to move back and forth uh, nutritionally. And so I, I'm, I'm convinced that one of the reasons why I ended up with such an advanced and aggressive form of cancer, even though I was so healthy, is because, yeah, sure, I was healthy. And I was, and I was consuming nothing but super healthy, you know, highly energy-supporting nutrients, but without ever allowing my body to take a break. Right. It's just constant. It was constant. And so fasting is a huge part of what my protocols now. So what, what does that look like exactly now? I mean, are we talking intermittent fasting where maybe you go 18 to 23 hours every single day, or are you doing the three or five hour complete fast or I'm not sorry, three, not three, three or five, five day. yeah. days. Right. Yeah. I, I was originally doing, well, first of all, my very first treatment protocol was eight, was an eight day water fast which I originally started, uh, it came about kind of, it's odd because I hadn't really kind of dug the whole, I hadn't done the deep dive into um, how that impacts your level of ketones and, uh, you know, the other therapeutic benefits. But I just, there was a book that talked about the master cleanse and I figured, okay, I'm going to do the master cleanse. So I bought a bunch of maple syrup and I bought a shitload of lemons and some, excuse me, cayenne pepper, which by the way is, it was a, 
I, I literally did it one day. I don't think I even finished the full day's dose. And I just went into a complete sugar shock. I mean, I was in, keep in mind, I was in ketosis before I tried doing this, right? Right, right. And so I just literally had to throw all that nonsense away, all that I, maple syrup and all those. I kept the lemons. <laughs> and, I, uh, and so I did an eight-day water fast. And so I think I just, you know, intuitively knew that something, this would help. And I think it did help because it got my ketones way up. And it also allowed my body to clean itself out, which I hadn't done before that. I, that was my first real experience of fasting ever, intentionally anyway. Um, there may have been days when I was starved and really wanted to eat. But now what I do is uh, I do a four to five day fast every two months. I was doing three days once a month, but I've done some research and, I just, and, I, and I've come to the conclusion that you really got to do more than three days to get really the therapeutic benefits of a longer term fast. And I think four is the minimum and five is probably... If you can do longer, great, but four to five days is where you want to be. Um, and so I do that every other month. I do uh, intermittent fasting every day. If you count having, you know, butter coffee as part of your fast, because I typically, when I intermittent fast in the morning, but I won't have, I get up at 5.30, I won't have my first cup of coffee until 10.30 or so, okay. or 10 o'clock. Or if I'm on the road, maybe I'll stop at a coffee shop at 9.30, but I, I'm literally up for three or four hours before I have that first cup of coffee. Right. Um, so I, and I don't eat until one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, so I intermittent fast every day. And then I do a 24 hour fast, probably two or three times in between those fasts, the, the three to five, four to five day fast. Usually when I'm traveling or if I'm so busy, I'm sure you've had those days where mm -hmm. it's just boom, 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 boom. I don't have time to eat. No big deal. I'll wait till dinner and I'll eat. Yeah. When you're in your ketosis, it's not hard to do. And so when I'm traveling to New York, for example, I'll eat dinner on Monday night get on the plane Tuesday morning, arrive in New York and have my next meal Tuesday night for dinner. So that's, that's, and I do that really for two reasons. One is to keep my level of ketones high because that's a good way to do it. And two is to make sure that I'm getting my chance to, you know, the apoptosis and the autophagy, making sure there's my system is having that redox effect. Gotcha. So since we're talking about some of the things that you're doing now um, mm -hmm. to sort of keep things where you want them, let's, let's look at um, prostate levels. I, I'm curious. Um, I've, Actually, uh, this is way back in the beginning when I was very young as a personal trainer. I was working with a guy who had had prostate cancer, survived, and his testosterone levels were non-existent. He right. had horrible issues uh, with weight gain. Um, right. He was on some of the uh, the traditional, um, you know, standard of care stuff and and you know post uh, chemical castration type stuff. Right. Um, but he had he he couldn't build muscle and he couldn't keep weight off. You look like, uh, I'm only seeing from the neck up, but you look like you're, you're lean and, and muscular. Right. How are you able to, you know, kind of keep those things in the realm that you want them in with, uh, testosterone levels that, you know, you have to manage carefully to prevent, you know, the, the, the prostate cancer from coming back. Yeah, that's, you know, that was one of the things I was really afraid of when I first got on that therapy. Because I, yeah, I spent a lot of time into being physically fit. And I was really concerned about the impact that it would have on my, on my physique and my strength and my ability to function. Well, not only that, but just like, I mean, testosterone for a man, like that's your, your zest for life. Like, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, I'd say, and this again, you probably know more about this than I do, Ryan, but I think being in ketosis helped a lot. It just helped a lot because my energy levels were always very consistent mm -hmm. and stable. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ever in a point where my body had to kind of eat away muscle mass in order to, to keep my glucose levels uh, where they should be. Right. That just didn't happen. So I didn't lose a lot of muscle. I think my workout routines, it's interesting. 
being in ketosis really strengthened my ability, for example, to do a difficult level two, three vinyasa flow yoga class, right? There's one I used to take that literally, you know, an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half class, I thought I was going to drop dead. Mm -hmm. I just thought, just get me through the next 15 minutes. Once I had moved even into the uh, nutritional stage of ketosis and certainly into the therapeutic stage, I'm looking at the clock saying, oh my God, class is over. I can go for another hour. Yep. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I will totally second that uh, from, from an endurance and, and being able to go f- at a low intensity forever. Uh, right. Even even in nutritional ketosis, there's huge benefit there. Now, uh, for you guys listening, if you've heard the podcast I did on ketosis for a power athlete, maybe not so much, but you, right. know, you have to know goal and context. Why are you I doing think, it? I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. So I think that's part of it. I did notice that my... You know, I didn't have tremendous gains in my ability to increase my weights and the, and the resistance stuff. You know, like, for example, I started, I started interval, uh, introducing pull-ups and chin-ups into my regular workout routine just because I thought it would kind of really help build upper body without necessarily having to use constantly just doing machine work. And I can do, you know, I, I could easily do, I'm not like a super athlete, but I could do, say, five very clean, clear pull-ups, right, um, wide grip pull-ups. And when I was, you know, when I was just doing ketosis, I could easily do five, sometimes seven, you know, when I was taking the testosterone, I found it hard to do three. You know what I mean? Wow. It's like my, 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 you know, my ability to, to grunt, to, to endure intense workouts was fine, but my level of strength was down. Right. I, right. You know, I, I could lift weights, but I, I couldn't keep increasing the weights on a regular basis. And I'm, and I, I'm not somebody who's trying to be a bodybuilder. I just think it's good for, you know, it's, it's good to not just have one form of workout. And I think as you get older, you want to put, you want to put weight on your bones and you want to continue to maintain your as you age because me, Let's see. Okay, I'm back. Um, as you age, you know, you, it's, it's, you lose muscle normally. It's part of the normal aging process. So the, the more you can do early on, the better off you are when you hit that wall. And, yeah. you know, it, it's much easier from an aging standpoint to maintain than to build muscle mass. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I was not at all into health or wellness or fitness until I hit 40 years old. I can tell you that for sure. I was the last. My idea of a workout was going outside to have a cigarette because <laughs> my wife wouldn't let me smoke in the house. That was my idea of a workout. And I was two pack a day, workaholic, you know, heavy drinker. You wouldn't see me in the gym. And I was, you know, I wasn't turned terribly overweight, but I was in terrible shape. Yeah. Was ridiculously awful shape. Well, Eric, I want to dive into this uh, massive uh, health shake and, and look at a couple of the ingredients specifically in terms of, you know, functional foods that can uh, help fight cancer. But before we do that, is there anything wait, else? Wait, wait, wait. I yeah. want to make sure there's one thing that's very clear. I no longer take the shake. This oh, okay. The shake that I was using at the time I was diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, then oh, we won't, boy, we won't oh, touch it at all, then. I we, can tell you what I took out. There's a lot of stuff I took out of here. What, I mean, what did I, you take out? That's, I'm more interested in that. Uh, what, what I would changes? say it's probably better to talk about what I left in. I, okay. you know, I, I, I still put in, I still do um, some dull seaweed. I still do the spir- spirulina chlorella, that, although I pulse that. Um, because I think it's nice to, it's nice for your body to kind of have a lot and then not have any, I do the uh, astragalus Mm -hmm. and the shisandra. I don't do any of the sunflower lecithin. I now do in my powder arco tea, which we can talk about in a second, the cinnamon powder. I now do the Ceylon cinnamon in my powder arco tea. 
I don't do any of these others. You know, the, the maca, the tongat, those are all kind of testosterone producing. I didn't want to, pine pollen, again, supports testosterone. These are all things that I decided I should just avoid. Um, it's funny as because it, I actually wrote that as a note next to that ingredient. Like, are you worried about this elevating testosterone? <laughs> That's why I took it out. Okay. I took it out. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I do have a slightly vers- modified version, but it's much, much more, you know, it's much less crazy. Do you still do the natto? I do. I okay. do the natto. I do the natto in my that, shake. That's I, really hard to find. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners if they yes. want to? Yes. And I'll have to look it up and send you the link to the website. I'll take notes here. There's a company that will ship it to your house frozen. Okay. And it's actually the best natto out there. It's organic. It comes in little plastic containers. Uh, and so if you don't live near an Asian mart, even though I live not far from an Asian mart, I just find it easier to order it in the mail and have it delivered to my house. I think sometimes and, for me, it's, it's, it's a little bit more comforting to know, uh, like if I go to one of those Asian marts, I can't always read the ingredients or, or know the sourcing. Right. Yeah. Now this company I think is, is good because it, A, they don't put it in styrofoam. There's other versions that are organic, but it comes in styrofoam and I don't need anything that comes in styrofoam. Um, and B it's, you know, it's organic. Um, so it's important when you're having anything with soy in it to make sure it's organic and not GMO. Right. Um, even that. <laughs> um, what about the avocado pit? Yeah, I don't know where I heard that from. It might have been Rhonda Patrick talked about it. The avocado pit apparently has a lot of nutrients in it. And when you put it in your shake, you don't even know it's there. If you're using a Vitamix, which I use to blend my shake, mm-hmm. I can't tell the difference between the shake when I have it and the shake when I don't. Now, let me, let me just make sure your, your listeners understand there's, there's a big caveat here. I put in a ton of peppermint. And lemon in my, like, just I take a nice, healthy lemon and I cut it in half. It's rind and all. It's skin, seeds, everything. Throw it in the shake with all that mint. Um, I don't know if it's peppermint, but the mint you buy when you go to the farmer's market in the, mm-hmm. in the green section. And I put some rosemary in there and I put some basil in there. So there's, there's so much in there that you don't even know the natto's there. If I, took some, if, I, if I don't put the mint and lemon and, and a little stevia in there, I, my shake is undrinkable. <laughs> it's undrinkable. It's just terrible. But with it, it in there, it is. Pretty good. I, I love it. <laughs> for, for you guys listening, if you go to the blog post for this in the show notes, I will put the entire uh, shake in there so you can see all of the all of the ingredients that were there. Uh, and again, I, I think it, I didn't realize that this was at the time of your diagnosis. Yeah, I thought this, this was something be, you did afterwards. I was doing this every okay. day. This is what I so, yeah. so the advice isn't necessarily to uh, replicate and put this shake into uh, your day. Uh, no. There's no, nothing I, inherently wrong with it. It's just... Yeah, I would say if somebody really wanted to be crazy insane with nutrients, and, and, and this is more a male than a female version of the drink because of the pine pollen, the tongue out of lee, and some of the other ingredients, mm-hmm. um, I would say, yeah, do the shake, but don't do it every day. There are, I, I counted. There are 48 ingredients. Yeah, yeah. And it would take me – I this is, this is how it would work, Ryan. I went on a Saturday or a Sunday. I would line up all my glass jars, and I would do all the dry stuff that you see on the first page. And, and then I would put those in the cabinet where they would sit. And then on, on the next morning, I'd take one out. I would add all the wet ingredients. And then I would put it back in the refrigerator and I'd let it soak overnight because it had to basically spend the night fermenting and doing all the things it's going to do. And then so it's basically that's the process. And then the next morning after it had been sitting overnight so that all the nuts can sprout, et cetera, I would put it in my Vitamix with, with the vegetables, which I'd add that day, the same day. And, and, you know, blend it up and that would be my shake for the day. And it would literally fill the Vitamix right to the top. So it's really two meals worth of liquid. It's a lot of liquid. You couldn't drink it all in one sitting. 
And I did that every day. It was just my thing. And people who call me that guy, he's that green shake guy. Oh, there's that guy. I would go to like, we had the California club here and I'm a lawyer and I walk in there with my suit on and my bag and I pull out this jar full of green stuff and everyone else <laughs> is eating the rubber chicken and I'd be drinking this green stuff out of my jar. And I was just that guy, <laughs> but I was so healthy, right? I was, I was going to live to be a hundred. I was never, never going to get cancer. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, um, you mentioned a tea that you drink now. Let's uh-huh. talk about that. Okay, it's it's actually Pata Arco tea was recommended on several of the um, sites that I was and I went through all these different websites to talk about you know natural cures for cancer and it, and it kept popping up and I went to see a clinic in Phoenix and talked to it was an integrative clinic down there and I talked to the doctor there and he recommended it so I had heard it from probably I don't know half a dozen maybe eight different sources of how important it was and so I did a little research on it it has a lot of therapeutic benefits I think with respect to cancer. Um, you know, the benefits might be related to uh, the reduction of the acidity level in the bloodstream with all that lactic acid. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on it. I don't have my notes in front of me, but it's, it's, it clearly had some therapeutic benefit. And then I was on Ben's site and he had this little, little um, powder arco tea that, that he was, I think Mercola might have recommended, where you put some um, curcumin powder, turmeric powder mm-hmm. in there, like you know, just get some really healthy uh, organic turmeric powder. You put some soy lecithin, and then you, if you want, you can add a little bit of fat like brain octane. And I would basically take that, and I added two teaspoons of uh, Ceylon cinnamon to it because, A, I liked, I didn't mind, I liked the way the Ceylon tastes, and I wanted to make sure I was getting my Ceylon cinnamon every day. That's, that's a way of kind of um, reducing your levels of blood sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Ceylon cinnamon, Ben talks a lot about that. And so I figure, okay, here's two birds, one stone. I'm going to add saline cinnamon. So I would use that shake. But what I did was I have a stack. And if you go on my website, you can see the list of what I take every day in the way of supplements. And they're all kind of focused on cancer as a condition. Some are to deal with uh, angiogenesis, kind of anti-angiogenesis drugs. Others to do with levels of blood sugar, all sorts of. By the way, if you do go on it, I've taken off uh, cayenne pepper. So it's on there. But I have to update the website. That's now off the list. I've substituted something else because that's a lectin. And uh, I read the plant paradox and I wanted to get all the lectins out of my diet. Um, Hmm. Anyway, so, but I would take my daily stack with that powder Arco blend with the cumin, curcumin, Mm -hmm. with the um, soy lecithin organic, um, which by the way is, is a, is a lectin soy, soy, I mean, uh, sunflower, sunflower seeds are lectins. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so you did swap soy lecithin for sunflower lecithin. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I still using sunflower. You're right. It is, it is a lectin. I'm trying to get the lectins out. I'm hoping that it's so, it's so processed that the lectins are no longer there, but I have to do some research on that. But I would, the reason why I would take that shake and have my supplements with that is because as you know, anything with, with, with turmeric in it's going to help bioavailability. And so I thought this might be a good way of getting the bioavailability of all these supplements I'm taking every day, or I miss a day or two a week, but pretty much every day. Um, so I do those in the afternoon. You, you drink that tea in the afternoon? Yes. Okay. Yes. I do that in the afternoon when I take my supplements. And if I don't do that tea because I'm making my new shake, I'll just put the Podarco tea in my shake and just use that one, take my supplements with the shake. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Very yeah. cool. Um, you mentioned you replaced the cayenne. What did you put in instead of that? Oh, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a doctor who I'm actually going to have a call with after this who recommended it's an anti-angiogenesis drug that I just ordered and got recently, like literally took it, started taking it three days ago. Okay. Um, I'll go pull it up and I'll, it'll, it'll be added to my list on my website. I'm going to okay. take off the saline. I'm going to put that one on. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes for you guys yeah. listening if you're curious. Sure. 
Sure. Okay. Sure. Cool. Uh, Eric, this has been fascinating. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything uh, that you feel like is crucial to impart into our, uh, onto our listeners that we haven't covered? Uh, yeah, I think, I think one of the things that's really important for people to understand, we kind of open with this, Ryan, is that, you know, having cancer is not a death sentence. And I know that the medical establishment wants you to believe that it is, and that only they can kind of prevent that, you know, prolong that, the effect of that, or put off the effect of that. I, I think that there are, um, there's more than just anecdotal evidence out there that there are a lot of therapies that can be used to help rein the, rein the cancering process in and help you move it back into a healing state, whether you do it with standard of care or in lieu of standard of care. And so I guess the most important thing that I would want people to know is, you know, if you do get a diagnosis or you're struggling with cancer, you know, you need to kind of find yourself in the right mindset. Um, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that this is, and this is going to sound really, really strange to a lot of people, but this is, this has really been a positive thing for me because it's taken this passion I've had and it's really given me a purpose, right? My passion has found a purpose is what I like to say. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of desire to get up in the morning and have calls like this with people like you that I, I get excited about. And it's mm -hmm. that excitement. It's that, it's that emotional excitement. That's the most healing thing you can have. Mm -hmm. And you really got to, you got to find that space because you know, the energetic stuff's the most challenging, but I think it's also the, the most powerful. I will second that. It's it's definitely the most powerful, most rewarding. And and I mean, even I love getting to do the podcast and, and because it, it allows me to connect with people like you. And, and it's, I, I much prefer to be able to do them in person, but even on a call like this, uh, you know, I feel right. a connection and, and I feel an exchange of energy and, and hopefully our listeners can, uh, can tune in and, and get a piece of that when they listen as well. Um, yeah. If, Eric, if, if you had to recommend, I, I know you've read a lot of books, you've mentioned a ton of names, um, you know, Willem Reich, uh, we, we talked about Jack Cruz, you mentioned uh, Otto Warburg, um, John Gray's, uh, all of these names, Dominic Diagostino, um, who if you guys haven't heard that ketone podcast with him, go back and check that one out. That was last November. Yeah, um, that was a good one. Thank you. Uh, Dom did all the work. I just, I just asked uh, questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Mike Nelson, he was on there. Mike's a great guy. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we'll, I'll have links to all those folks in the show notes. Right. So, um, save those people, um, or outside of those people, if, if you could only refer listeners to maybe one or two books right. that would change the way they thought about cancer right. or healing, what would those books be? That's an easy question. Travis Christopherson's Tripping Over the Truth is bar none, hands down, the best book out there. And I highly recommend that book. To, there you go. <laughs> it was within reach. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, that's that actually that book really, I think, had a very profound impact on me because I didn't it wasn't was, wasn't the first book I read. It was probably the seventh or eighth book I stumbled upon as I was going through the initial list of books. And as soon as I read that book, I thought, geez, everybody with cancer should read this book. I don't. And it, it kind of as an aside, I've talked to every doctor I've interviewed and I've interviewed probably 12 um, and there's others that I'm still talking to because I continue to reach out and, and get introduced to these folks. Um, you know, only the integrative doctors are even aware and only a few of them were aware of that book. In fact, mm -hmm. it's funny, I, I gave a copy to my integrative doctor and then I was seeing a doctor who does um, 
hyperthermia treatments here. He's a, he's a radiologist here in Santa Monica. They have a, we have a hyperthermia. And I, was, and I am talking to him about hyperthermia. And I mentioned that book and he said, oh, funny, you should mention it. He goes, I was just talking to Melanie Gisler, who is my integrative doctor. There's a plug for you, Melanie. And she said, she just recommended this book to me. And I said, guess who she heard about it from? <laughs> she's now spreading it around to her friends. That That's sort of beautiful. Thing. Yeah, That's so beautiful. It's, a, it's a great book. And I think he does a really good job of, of kind of laying out exactly kind of what the history is behind the current medical perspective of cancer and kind of how things evolve to where we are now. And then really gets into the weeds about the metabolic stuff and some of the therapies that, that, that people are kind of focusing on um, as potential ways of using the metabolic. Yeah. Oops. And you're back. You're back. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Uh, I'll use this as a chance to make a request to sure. our network. Uh, if there's anybody listening who has a connection to Travis, we'd love to have him on the show. Uh, so if anybody can make that introduction or help us help me get in touch with him, uh, I'd be grateful and we'll bring him on the show and share some information with you guys. Absolutely. No question. He would be great. He, and he, I've heard him speak several. He's great. He's really, he's, he knows this. And he's, he's just a, he's a, he's a, like a scientist journalist is what he is, right? Mm -hmm. That's what he does. Eric, you know what time it is? Time for us to wrap things up. It's time for you to answer the question that all of our guests answer. Okay. Uh, before you, I'll give you just a second to kind of think on that in the back of your head, uh, yeah. your top three tips to live optimal. Okay. Um, where can our listeners get more of you if they want to find you? You mentioned your website. Yes. Okay. It's uh, com. It's a new site. It's been up as of the middle of May. May 15th is when I finally got it up. It took about four months. I'm still working my day job. So this is, this is a labor of love and a passion of mine. There's a ton and ton of information on that site as to kind of how I'm going to break everything down in the overview for the pillars and the protocols. And now I'm starting to put into that site kind of more, more detail, more information about each of the protocols so people can actually see what, and I want to have videos on there so they can see how I make my Budwig blend and how all these things are done, how you do the ozone treatment much be much easier for people to kind of understand if they can see it. Um, and, you know, I would encourage your listeners to go on that site. There's a, there's a place on the site where you can reach out and ask me questions and I answer all those questions. And uh, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. I want to get as much feedback as I can from my own audience so that I can really make sure that what I put out there has some real value. So that's, that's it. Um, so I'm going to buy you a little bit extra time because you mentioned <laughs> the, uh, the oxygen machine again. And, and yeah. I think this is, there's, this is becoming uh, a theme. You know, you mentioned yeah. uh, the tea that you had heard through different people. You know, once you hear something being recommended five, six, seven times, right. it starts to, you know, kind of hit you in the head. And you're like, well, maybe I should start paying attention to this. But right. with the, uh, the Live O2, uh, mm -hmm. Ben has one. He, he was recently on the show and talked about it. Right. Uh, and then uh, one of our previous guests, uh, Dr. John Lawrence, uh, if you're listening, I know Dr. John listens. Hi, John. Um, but he is a big fan of uh, hyper and hypo oxygenation, kind of playing with that. And, and he's uh, a big fan of, of hooking up to uh, one of those machines and, uh, right. you know, playing with oxygenation during workouts as well. So right. um, that's I, do have, now, I have a live O2. I have a live O2 machine as well. So I, yeah, that's, yeah, you mentioned live O2 yeah. and then the ozone. Um, yes. In the ozone and hyperbaric oxygen, and also interesting. And, and I don't, I know we don't have a lot of time to get more into this stuff, but even like high dose vitamin C, when you do it at that level of 50 grams to 75 grams, it actually converts into hydrogen peroxide in your system, which gives it that you know oxidative stress therapy on the cancer. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so that's another oxidative stress. You think of vitamin C as an antioxidant, but it does high levels. It's not, it's oxidative. And, and when you were doing that high level, that was oral? No, I was doing IV. Okay. You got to do IV yet. The jury's still out as to whether liposomal on an oral basis would work. I know that regular vitamin C just doesn't work. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm forgetting the documentary. I think it may have been Food Matters where they um, were showcasing a few of the um, alternative cancer treatments that do um, IV vitamin C injections at really, really high doses and and have shown uh, positive uh, results in regards to uh, killing and, and getting rid of tumors uh, right. with those. And that was part of the conversation that we were having with uh, the gentleman at Paleo FX last year. Uh, he was a part of uh, one of those facilities. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, if, if you guys want to look into that, definitely look into vitamin C for really high doses there. So, all right. Top so three, three tips. Top three tips. Okay. I, it's hard to narrow it down to three, but I, I'll tell you what I think the top three are. Okay. And, and, I, and actually, I'd say they all somehow tie back to sleep. Um, all three of them tie back in one form or another to sleep. Because I think getting a really good restful sleep is really important for the healing process overall and for how you perform during, throughout the day, right? If, the better your sleep, the, the better you feel about yourself. Um, the first one I would say is getting out early in the morning, getting some sunlight. I think sunlight is so therapeutic. It is really, I can't tell you how, um, important it is for all sorts of reasons. One of them is the early morning sun is obviously much better than afternoon sun because afternoon sun gets to be too intense, but it really helps set that kind of circadian rhythm in a proper place and it gets your melatonin level which Jack Cruz talks about, you know, your body's not going to produce melatonin if you don't get that early morning sun. So for those of you who don't like getting up in the morning, this might be a good wake up call or inspiration, if you will, (laughs) to get to bed early so you can get out there and get that. I love the early part of the day. I get up at 530 in the morning and I just Mm -hmm. love, love, love when that sun's coming up. It's it's my favorite part of the day. It just seems like anything's possible. Yes, it does. It does. And if you, and if you can keep the, the, the screens off and keep not listening to these great podcasts until a little bit later in the day, you know, it's that, it's that clarity of consciousness that happens when you transition from sleep to wake. If you have silence and kind of just can, you know, do your routines in the morning, you get up and so that's one. I think um, tied into that is, is, is really kind of having good hydration uh, um, protocols. And I'd say drink is, is the cleanest water you can. And I drink spring water comes to my house to live in a glass bottle. And, you know, I, we could do on another podcast kind of talk about some of the, these, these protocols, but getting hydration first thing in the morning, I drink about 40 ounces of water before I have my first cup of coffee. And I do that for a couple of reasons. And the one that ties back to sleep is it's in the sleep process that your body's really cleaning itself out and detoxifying itself while you're asleep. And so your, your liver is now taking these, all of these toxins and moved it in. So it can now uh, be flushed out of your system in, in a water soluble format. And if you don't drink enough water first thing in the morning and all you do is have a cup of coffee, all those toxins get absorbed back into your liver. And so you never get that, that cleaning out system. So have your, Get your hydration. Make sure you have the electrolytes in there. Get your hydration early in the morning. That's two. And the third is, I would say, meditation. And this one sounds a little bit, It's believe me, I struggled with this for a long time because I've been trying to meditate for 20 years. Um, and when I got diagnosed with cancer, I went out and I signed up for TM and I went to the training because I decided, look, if I'm going to spend a thousand bucks, maybe I'll actually do it on a regular basis. And I'm now to the point where I, I've kind of adopted it into my daily routines 
I try to go to the beach in the morning, get in the ocean and get my grounding and all that stuff. Um, but I found that since I do that grounding in the morning, and that's, I just I just snuck in a fourth if you didn't miss that. That's why I cheated. I caught it. I caught it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm allowing it because it's part of my morning routine as well. Yeah. it's really Once I started doing that, my sleep at night has improved dramatically. Yeah. Dramatically. Yeah. I just if, I sleep great. If you guys are listening didn't catch that, it was grounding. Um, <laughs> yeah. So as part of your morning meditation and, yeah. and while you're drinking your water and while you're getting that morning sunlight, just be barefoot and grab a tree. Exactly. Exactly. You or if you all, live, all if you live, if you live within walking distance of the ocean, get in the ocean too. Exactly. If all these things, these three most important things, or four, if I could cheat, are all things you can do before you have your first cup of bulletproof coffee. I mean, that's what's great about it. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> and it'll change the rest of your day. It really, it really will. will. I mean, it's five yeah. minutes that will change the rest of your day every single day. Yeah. 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 And I actually follow that up. I come inside. This is it's, it's almost identical to my morning routine, uh, but I come inside and I take a cold shower. Yes, I do. Um, I, cause I go in the ocean mm-hmm. and the ocean is not that cold this time of year, but it's always between 50 and 55 degrees, which of course is, is pretty optimal. If you want to be, it's yep. not like being in an ice bath, but it definitely gets your blood down, your, your, your temperature and your blood down. Um, and so I, I try to get in the ocean. If I can't do it every day, I do it five days a week for at least 15 minutes just to be in the ocean. Yep. And yep. plus you're getting all the probiotics and this, you know, it's the oxygen, the, the salt, negative the ions yeah, and, yeah, yep, from yeah. the water. And, yeah. Yep, <laughs> yep, beautiful. Yeah. Eric, this has been an awesome show. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah, I'd love you, to have man. you back and, and maybe talk about some of these water protocols and, and, and some of the other stuff that uh, we kind of touched on. I would be on, thrilled. I would be thrilled. able to, to dig into. So um, I also, uh, after we record, uh, after I stop the recording, I'll, we'll talk about maybe visiting you in Santa Monica because I, I plan to be in the area soon. So, okay, good. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll grab some food. Um, you will. But uh, for you guys listening, go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the blog post for this and go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. If we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with free Natural Stacks products. Uh, remember the code that I told you at the beginning of the show for curcumin uh, because we talked about that on this show, uh, Natural Stacks has an amazing curcumin product, and we will hook you up with 50% off of your first month when you put it on subscription. The code is OPP. And as always, share the Optimal Performance Podcast with the people in your life who you know will benefit from and enjoy the things that we're talking about. I think there's a lot of really, really valuable information that Eric shared with us today. Um, Get that in the hands of people that you love and care about. Anybody who needs to know this. Uh, we live in an age now where we're almost, uh, almost every single one of us knows someone or is in some way touched by cancer. So get this episode in their hands. Even if it's the first podcast they've ever listened to, uh, teach them how to listen to a podcast. And uh, that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Eric, thanks a lot. Thank you, man.